And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And I have to tell you, we've got a really special episode sponsored today. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Equip Bids Auctions, your Midwest online auction marketplace to buy and sell stuff. EquipBid provides dedicated support to affiliates in Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and Iowa. Join the team and sell everything from heavy machinery to home goods, vehicles, and boats to restaurant and kitchen equipment and tractors to patio furniture. Go to equipbid.me slash startup. That is equip-bid.me backslash startup for details. Or just click the link saved down below in the show notes. Now... I have to tell you, friends, I, I we get excited about all of our guests, but I even told this particular guest in pre-show prep that I was very excited about today's episode topic because, as we all know, Matt DeCourcy is a sales guru, but today I have the opportunity to talk about sales with an expert, and I am so, so glad and so excited to have Shruti Kapoor, CEO of Wingman by Clary, joining us today. Shruti, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Great to be here, Lauren. Looking forward to this. All right. We're, we're going to have some fun. But, but first things first, I'm going to kick it off as I always do. And I'm just going to say, you know, tell us about your journey. Sure. So, um, you know, I was born in India. I've been uh, now living in the fourth country, I would say, of my life. So grew up uh, in India, spent a decade in Singapore, uh, currently living in the Middle East in UAE. And uh, I started Wingman um, four years back, uh, which is a sales tech platform that analyzes all of sales interactions to enable real-time live coaching so that people can take the right actions while they are trying to close a deal. Because I think one of my biggest frustrations as a salesperson was that, you know, you make a mistake, you get a ton of advice from everybody after you've made the mistake, but you can't unlose the deal. And uh, so, yeah, I'm uh, here trying to help others uh, not having to unlose deals, uh, uh, you know, post facto. Um, yeah, and uh, I I've actually had a pretty diverse background, did biotechnology for my undergrad, worked in an investment bank, and, uh, you know, then worked with startups uh, on the funding side for a decade before starting this up. Wow. Well, so so I want to I want to kind of dial it back a little bit. I, I think it's really really interesting that you you said you're on your fourth country. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So how? Well, first off, I, I'd be very curious to hear what has inspired you to be not just a world traveler but a world liver. I mean, you're not just visiting places; you're actually getting involved with the culture and the geography and the people. And I think that's really cool. Uh, so first, first question is what inspired you to do that? But then my second follow up 
is, and I'm, yes, I'm asking two questions at once, so just bear with me. But uh, my second question is, how do you think that has impacted your perspective as a founder? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, the first time around, I was given the chance to live in another country. It wasn't of my own choosing. So I went to live in Singapore when I was 16. Um, You know, my dad had applied for uh, a scholarship that Singapore government was offering at that point. Uh, Somehow I made, uh, you know, I got selected for that. And I had no idea and I had no intention of, you know, living away from home at that age. And so, you know, but once I went there, I really kind of enjoyed the diversity, just the whole difference in cultural experience and how much it actually makes you kind of rethink all of the assumptions that you make, you know, when you're just part of one culture, because all of those things are just taken for granted till you go and experience a very different world. Um, So I think that's kind of when it hit me. And then uh, through my uh, you know, uh, work career. I've, uh, of course, worked a lot with companies in the U.S., lived and traveled there uh, for a little bit. And, you know, again, very different perspective from Singapore, which is, you know, Asian, Chinese, culturally. Um, and now that I'm living in the Middle East, uh, and, you know, in between, I went back and lived in India for a decade. So now I'm kind of looking at all of those cultural experiences from a very different lens because now I have a kid and I'm kind of thinking about, you know, how is each of that uh, cultural experience, the diversity, uh, everything that's impacting him. Um, So I think, you know, as I've gone through this, what I've realized is uh, it's easier to kind of stay in your own bubble even when you travel and live outside when you are much older because you kind of, you know, you can choose to just interact with like, you know, a handful of people every day. But when you're younger, and especially when you're, you know, going to school or college, you're forced to interact with the whole diversity of people that exist in that place. And you learn so much more from them. And, you know, how that impacts you as, you know, a colleague or as a founder is that, you actually, you know, the the more variety of people that you interact with, the more empathy you have in understanding that there are going to be many different points of view because people are coming from many different contexts and many different assumptions and beliefs. Um, Very often, you know, we find it really hard to break that in our head to really understand that, you know, somebody is behaving in a certain manner because they have a very different context and framework. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, sorry, that was a long answer to your No, I, I love it. I, I really wanted to get into the meat of things with you. And, 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 and I think that we definitely accomplished that. So, so I'm going to tell you a little story. Uh, and then I'm going to go on to ask some more questions. But my, my story, um, you know, when I was very early on in my career, I decided that, you know, I was an entrepreneur and I had a, I actually had a marketing agency uh, at the time. It was called V3 Creative. And uh, what was really interesting is I somehow ended up with bi-coastal, despite, despite the fact that I lived like smack dab in the middle of the country of the United States, uh, I, I had either bi-coastal or international clients. And one of my clients was based out of Paris, France, and uh, they did work in the uh, in the global PEO realm. 
And so they had, they had contracted me to do some copywriting for their web. They had contracted me to do a bunch of things, but one of the projects that I was working on was copywriting for their website. And I took a stab at it. And this is, this is actually a little embarrassing, but I took a stab at it and I sent it off and I didn't hear back for like a week. And I was like, oh, that, that can't be good. Uh, but when they finally got back to me, they were like, Hey, you know, Lauren, we can't, we can't use this. And I, I asked why, you know, I thought that it was some of my, my good work. Uh, and they, they explained to me that in France, culturally, the language that they use to market and sell is very different than that, the kind of language that we use here in the States. Here in the States, we are very into superlatives. I don't have a great product. I have the best product. You know, my my product is, you know, it's brighter than the sun and it's going to change your life. And we're very, very um, enthusiastic to the point of, at least as far as like, like, French perspective, we're, we're a little too cloying. We're too enthusiastic. We, we just use all of these really, really big superlatives. And so that, that was a huge learning experience for me. You know, the perspective and the paradigm that I'm operating from is not the same globally. And I felt, you know, I think I was like 24, 25 at the time and, you know, pretty stupid still, like still learning my, as, as I go on, but that was a huge lesson for me. And so you, you mentioned assumptions, you know, you actually mentioned it a couple of times. And so I'm really curious, what are some of the assumptions that you yourself have had to confront in your, in your founder journey? Um, so I think this is specifically with the context of, uh, you know, people are interacting with uh, different cultures, right? So I think one is, like you said, right, like different people uh, culturally make different types of claims. So when I was, uh, you know, when I started Wingman, I was primarily selling to the US market. And I hadn't, uh, you know, while I had worked with companies there, I hadn't done like a bunch of selling to that market. So one of the things that I realized was that, you know, there are also like assumptions that people make in terms of stereotypes. So uh, one of the, you know, early feedback that I received was, oh, you know, every time somebody thinks of IT plus, um, you know, if somebody thinks of IT plus India, they are probably thinking of it in the context of, you know, the services companies that they've worked with. And so they're not really used to seeing a product company um, from India. And so that is going to be a bit of a barrier. And that was interesting because I hadn't thought about that assumption and, you know, all of the other things that it implied, um, which, you know, which kind of made me double down on uh, trying to overcome the unsaid objections that people might have when they're making those assumptions, right? So one unsaid assumption, uh, you know, unsaid objection would be that, oh, because I think people are good at solving a problem that somebody else is defining. They might not be very innovative when they're coming up with a product. And so, you know, what I had to do double down on was to say, okay, you know, I know that people are not going to directly ask me that, but how do I go ahead and, you know, answer that question for them? Similarly, the other thing that I realized was that if you are dealing with somebody who is unlike you, um, you tend to overgeneralize, right? Because you're going to have, a, uh, you know, much fewer sample points of dealing with a certain person uh, 
tight, right? Like whether that is to say that, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm in a very male dominated world and, you know, I worked in investment banking, which is probably like the extreme of that example in some ways, um, you know, I, you know, I might have an experience with like working with five other women in a year, career of 20 years. And I might just over index on each of those experiences when I'm meeting uh, the sixth person. Uh, but similarly, you know, whether that's you're Asian or, you know, you're an Asian woman, then, you know, each of those categories people tend to over index on. And so that was the other experience that I realized that if people had had some experience working with like, you know, three Indian people in their career, the next time they meet somebody who's Indian, they are going to over index on that experience. And if they've had a bad experience in the past, uh, they are going to kind of, you know, put all of that on you uh, when you're walking into that room. So sometimes it's useful to understand that uh, and to maybe even try to figure out what experiences they have had because people might just, and, you know, the third thing was that uh, people also culturally make very different opening conversations, right? Like, um, you know, in the U- US, a lot of times people would culturally project themselves as, uh, I would say, like, very happy and, you know, everything kind of sorted. Um, That's not necessarily true in other parts of the world. And so, you know, in those conversations as well, like, um, it's it's kind of useful to understand uh, how those things play out. Because if I go into a room and if somebody asks me, how are you doing? And that's just their way of saying hello. And I start with like a three minute monologue on, you know, all of these things went wrong this morning. They're going to be like, I don't know why you're saying that, right? That wasn't my question. So uh, I think it's just useful to know uh, the context uh, that people operate in uh, and to make sure that you're trying to bridge the gap or at least making them aware that the gap exists. Yeah. Well, and what I what I find interesting, I mean, clearly you have a lot of insight around this, but what you've actually done is you've created a platform that, to my understanding, it kind of removes some of that that hesitation and uncertainty. Because what basically what you're doing, you're scouring through sales interactions to find actionable intelligence. So you've removed that that bias. Uh, is, is that accurate? Like, talk to us about Wingman and and how how it works. Yeah, so um, you know, with Wingman, what um, what what I'm trying to do is to make sure that everybody understands. Uh, you know, everybody. I mean, like all of the salespeople in the team understand uh, and have visibility on what are good sales practices, not just based on like you know somebody said this or this is in the playbook. Uh, that the company has put out, but based on the actual uh, real life conversations that are happening every day on sales calls. And so what the platform does is it's recording and analyzing every sales interaction that's happening, whether that's an email, a call, um, you know, and then it's uh, matching that up with what was the outcome for that sales call. So if I look at like, you know, hundreds of sales calls, and I know that uh, you know, more often than not in a sales call where you actually talk about budget, you have a better chance of closing a deal. I'm able to actually go back and use that information and coach people mm, through the platform to say that, hey, you know, talk about budget and talk about budget this way. And so what the platform then does is like the next time a conversation around budget comes up, it's actually going to show the seller a cue card with, you know, the specific talking points that they could use to talk about it. 
Um, so in some sense, uh, what it's doing is it's it's trying to make it a more even playing field uh, for everyone. Uh, and you're right, it's it's trying to also make sure that you know if you're selling to a similar set of people, then you're being able to sell the same way uh, and provide a more consistent experience, um, you know, for the brand and for the customer. Yeah, well, and to, to kind of meet customers where where they are rather than where you are, which which I love. Uh, so, so how important do you think it is for a founder to have great sales skills? You know, when I started up, I was uh, somewhat hesitant, uh, right, on how I should be spending my time, um, right? And it always seems like there are a hundred important things you could be doing, whether that is, um, you know, building a culture, hiring lawyers, writing the right formation documents. But ultimately, uh, the first thing that you need to accomplish as a startup is to find, you know, your product market fit. And to find that product market fit, it's really important that you're actually one, um, you know, reaching out to the market, iterating on who or what that market looks uh, like for you or for your customers, right? And three, then taking that feedback, putting that into the product. And you can't be doing any of that unless you are the primary and the first salesperson for that product. So, you know, I think it's, absolutely no doubt in my mind um you know the most important job that at least one of the founders uh, in a company needs to be doing sure well so so let's talk a little bit more about about your founder journey have you always been gifted at sales um i would say not really um I mean, I've always known the importance of it, but I would say that I've been like a hesitant salesperson, right? So I've, you know, I've done my fair share of, you know, business development and sales roles, but I have not really, you know, kind of openly or aggressively thought of myself as a salesperson, partially because, um, you know, I, I've considered myself as an introvert. I would consider myself as you know, somebody who doesn't like speaking to new people unless, you know, I have to. Um, but I think uh, being a founder, a lot of that has uh, changed for me. Um, and I've realized that, you know, you kind of don't have an option out of it. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's definitely an acquired taste, I would say. For sure. Absolutely. Well, so, so you said something really, really interesting in there. And I think it's something that could very much speak to a lot of our listeners, but you mentioned that you're an introvert and yet here you are, you know, leading a sales platform. You're a founder and founders tend to be the faces of their companies. And you've, you've carved out a niche for yourself as a sales leader. And so I'm, I'm very curious, uh, how have you been able to kind of reconcile your, your introversion with sales, which I think when most people think of sales, they think of kind of, you know, public facing, like you said, you have to talk to people that you don't know, um, you know, pretty much constantly. Uh, what has that been like? And how have you been able to, to kind of work that into your journey, overcoming, either overcoming the, the introversion or integrating it into what you do and how you do it? Sure. So I think two things for me. One is um, I'm fundamentally curious by nature. And I think 
the way I look at sales uh, and, you know, speaking to customers or speaking to partners or anybody else today is from the perspective of, you know, what can I learn today? And that, um, you know, helps me overcome um, some of that uh, reluctance, uh, I would say, right? And the second part of it, and so, you know, I think that also in some ways makes me a good salesperson because then I'm much more willing to spend time thinking and listening to what the person on the other side is saying rather than, um, you know, just being focused on what smart thing I'm going to say next. Um, the second thing is that, you know, being passionate about uh, your product, right, means that you're constantly trying to answer the question, you know, how are people going to use it? And that definitely, for me, precedes, um, you know, a lot of the thinking that goes in when I have these conversations, because I'm just, you know, so excited to understand, you know, what problem somebody is facing and, you know, how uh, I could be helping them solve that better, um, that I think, you know, that excitement uh, somehow helps overcome that hesitation as well. I love that. I love people who are excited and I love people who are curious. So I, I'm really glad that we have the opportunity to chat today. And friends, I am also happy to remind you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Equipvid Auctions, an online marketplace dedicated to growing small auction businesses. They're solving problems and providing a fun re-commerce or liquidation shopping experience to valued bidders. Go check out their incredible offerings and sign up at equip bid.me backslash startup. That is equip-bid.me backslash startup. And if that was too much, you can definitely check out the show notes for the link. Check them out. Uh, I went on their website and I have to tell you, I was telling Shruti that I am now obsessed with the Equip Bids auction website because they have so much cool stuff and I want all of it. Uh, so, so, that's a caution to you. Just know you're going to open up this site and there's going to be all kinds of stuff that you want to bring home with you. Just liberate it from the auction. Uh, so Shruti, tell me, tell me this. You just gave us some really, really good actionable insight into becoming a sales leader. And what you said was focus on what others are saying rather than you're listening to understand rather than listening to respond. And I think that that is a hallmark of a lot of really fantastic sales leaders. And so I'm wondering, do you have any other advice for folks who, you know, founders, we have to do a lot of stuff that is not really within our wheelhouse, particularly in early days when we're bootstrapping and operating lean, and we just don't have people. So we have to act as our own marketing person, salesperson, R&D person, you know, all of, all of the things. So for the folks at home who, who maybe don't feel super comfortable in the sales space, what other advice can you give them that might help them on their journey? Sure. So I think, um, you know, two more things that I learned uh, through this journey, right? One is an especially, especially applicable, um, you know, in the early days of a startup, the first few years that you're building it as well. Um, think of the process of selling or marketing as a proxy to building trust uh, with somebody who, you know, maybe doesn't know anything about you or your brand. Um, and the way this translates into getting, uh, you know, your first five customers versus your first 20 customers uh, is that, you know, 
initially when you're starting out, the way you build trust is not because, you know, somebody recognizes your brand, right? Because that brand doesn't exist. Um, it's not because, you know, you did a full page ad somewhere, um, but it's because you are the face of the brand and they have to somehow build trust with you because they don't know whether the product is going to work. Maybe you just launched the product like last month. Um, so, you know, kind of think about like, what is the first stage of building trust with someone? And so, you know, first stage is you. And so you think about like, who are the people who already trust you or what are the reasons how people can trust you, whether that is, you know, a school you went to, uh, people that they know, et cetera. And it's okay to use those things, uh, even though, you know, you might feel that, you know, the product should stand on its own. And yes, the product should be great. It should stand on its own. But at the end of the day, the proxy for trust on day one is you um, as the person. Um, and over a period of time, you have to think of other proxies for trust that are more scalable, right? So uh, in your next phase, it's going to be what your first five customers said. And you have to figure out a way to amplify that voice, to capture that voice, and to make sure that people are seeing it at the right time in the right context. Um, and then, you know, slowly in parallel, you should build your brand because that is in many ways the most scalable way of building trust. Um, so that's one. Uh, I think the second thing that I learned in this journey of sales is um, think of sales very much as a coaching process, right? So what I mean by that is when you're trying to sell something to someone, um, it's very much like you are helping coach them to solve a problem that they have. And if you think of it that way, it also makes it much easier for you to build rapport with them around a problem. Um, and I think especially for people who, um, you know, maybe a little bit more introverted, uh, that might be a good way to um, actually build rapport and develop a relationship with the customer uh, versus, you know, just uh, small talk or um, other aspects of personality. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's a really, really appropriate and very cool approach simply because e even if an entrepreneur is a an introvert or not comfortable with the sales process, the fact is entrepreneurs at their core are problem solvers, right? Like we entrepreneurs are the people who come up against a challenge or they see a, a gap or a hole in, in a market and they attempt to fill it. They attempt to solve the problem. So I feel like almost framing the sales process as a problem solving process that you do with the customer or the potential customer, that could be really, really attractive to, to salespeople who, or, or, or people who are being thrust into sales roles when that's not really their, their comfort zone. So I love that. So, so friends listening at home, if you are not a salesperson by nature, that is okay because you are a problem solver. So just remember that. Now, I, I have to ask, and I, I'm very curious, we've kind of talked around, uh, we, we've, ta we've talked around the platform, and I really would like to get into the nitty gritty. Can you talk to us a little bit about exactly how, how Wingman works? Sure. Um, so... Uh, I'll just maybe take a step back and say, you know, why um, I actually started building this. So 
I was working with leading a sales team and my, um, you know, I had two big challenges. One was every time I wanted to give feedback to the product team, they would be like, oh, can we get on a customer call? And then, you know, can we understand from the customer why they wanted it? And that would mean, you know, like four follow-up emails, multiple reschedulings to figure out like a time when we could get everybody together. And then, you know, I would also feel guilty that like, what is in it for the prospect, right? Like they haven't even bought the product yet. Um, and so clearly they didn't have as much skin in the game. And, you know, these things uh, would just feel like a drain on time. Um, and the second challenge I had was that I had folks on my team who were, you know, doing really well. I had other folks who, from a revenue number perspective, were not doing well, even though I could see them putting a lot of effort. Um, so I was essentially thinking about this day in and day out. And I realized that, you know, the kind of the secret to all of this lay in the conversations that were happening with the customers, right? Like if I could go back and tell my product team, hey, you know, in the last 20 calls that I've had, everybody has asked for this feature or, you know, three out of 10 customers asked me for this feature. And hey, here are the two minute clips on, you know, how they are describing this problem that would be much more effective than being able to get them on a single call with one of those 10 people. Um, because one, you know, that was taking extra time from me. And two, they were only getting one person's perspective versus, you know, holistically knowing, you know, how common is this problem, et cetera. Um, so that was one reason why I was like, if I could record these calls, if I could anal have them analyzed and I could do like all sorts of funky, um, you know, uh, search and analysis on it, then, I would be able to answer that question for my product team and for myself. Um, and the second thing similarly, and this was something that when I started speaking to other sales leaders, I realized was that typically within a sales team, you have, you know, if you're, you know, your best rep is doing maybe 10x in, um, uh, you know, quota, then it's very possible that your worst performing rep is only doing like 20, 30% of that. And right. so every sales manager faces that disparity and they struggle to, you know, say, what could I be doing to help my reps who aren't performing as well to do better? And very often, you know, while they come up with coaching and suggestions, it's not as effective or as scalable as it would be if these people could actually learn from each other. And if they could learn much more frequently, today, one of the biggest challenges with sales coaching is that you know, it only happens like once a month for a particular rep. And at that frequency, like even if you give me the best feedback, there are two problems. One is I don't know whether your feedback is actually going to work in the next scenario that I go into. And two, sales, you know, because of the repetitive nature of it, very quickly becomes like a game of habits. And it's so hard to change habits if you're only getting feedback on it once a month, right? Like you literally right. need to be doing something every day or every time that situation arises for you to change the habit, right? So think about like you say, hey, I want to start waking up at 5 a.m., but you only do that like, you know, you only look at your clock once every month to save what time you're waking up, right? So that's not going to happen. Right. Um, and so what Wingman does is one, it analyzes and records every call. So for example, if it's a Zoom meeting, uh, it joins as a board, it's recording the call. 
uh, it's transcribing it, and then it's doing all sorts of uh, AI analysis to decide, you know, what topics you were discussing at what points of time in the call. Uh, but the second thing it's doing is it's then taking this information and correlating that with what is the actual, um, you know, outcome of that conversation, right? So if you're having, uh, you know, as a rep, you had 20 conversations this week, um, you know, 15 of them, you lost the deal, five of them, uh, you know, resulted in, say, a closed one, it's going to be able to tell you what are some of the common things between the conversations where you won the deal versus where you lost the deal. And then it could aggregate that at the team level, it could aggregate that, uh, you know, across a geography or a segment, so you get some very interesting trends. But the third most important thing is that, you know, the feedback loop gets completed very quickly. So if I identify that this is a best practice, I want to make sure that my reps are getting feedback on that every time that situation arises. So, you know, right. a simple example is like, if somebody, you know, I decide as a manager that, hey, every time somebody asks you for a discount, don't go ahead and give a discount. Instead, make sure that you've established the ROI for the product, right? Right. Now, what I could do with Wingman is that every time the word discount gets spoken, automatically just think of it like, you know, an Alexa telling you something. So as soon as the word discount gets spoken, it can show a battle card on the screen of the rep to say, hey, these are the three points that you should now talk about. And so that feedback loop, instead of it being like once a month when a manager reviews a call and gives feedback, now becomes instantaneous and repetitive so that your reps are actually able to quickly change their habits. That's really fascinating. And I, and I, I love the fact that you can use use the tool as as a way to kind of prepare your team prep your team because i think founders often we we often jump to devaluing what we do because we want to make the sale and so so i love that in the example that you chose and and the i guess advice or the guidance that I would love to give, you know, the folks listening at home, you know, you don't always have to jump to the discount to your point. Um, what you need to do is you need to rebuild or, or build in more strongly that value that you're providing, because by, by offering the discount immediately, you're, you're devaluing what you have to offer. And then what happens when the discount period is over, uh, you've, you've, set an expectation with that customer. So, so I love that. And I love that you found a way to, to create a really consistent, really strong training tool for your sales reps. Because often when we talk about, you know, poor, for poor, poor performers, Ooh, that was difficult to say, uh, poor performance in sales. Often it's not necessarily the salesperson, it's the sales process. Right. And I, I feel like that is what you're trying to a lot of what you're trying to address with Wingman. Is that that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Well, well, that is super cool. I, I have to ask, you know, I, I see Wingman by Clary and you recently went through an M&A process, mergers and acquisitions. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what the future looks like for Wingman? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like you said, um, f around uh, 
you know, middle of uh, 2022, we got acquired by Clary. Uh, Clary, of course, is, um, you know, a well-known unicorn in the sales tech space. Um, and the fit couldn't have been better. So when we started this conversation uh, with Clary, I wasn't looking to sell the company, but it just seemed like this synergies were so good with respect to like the problem that they were looking to solve the long-term vision. And to put it very simply, they think about the sales problem in terms of, uh, you know, the past performance and predicting the future with respect to forecasting, uh, you know, what's going to happen this quarter by looking at, you know, all of the historic data. Um, and, you know, the way we think about Wingman is that it's looking at the present and helping you solve for the present, right? With like real time uh, feedback, uh, battle cards, coaching, all of those things. So, um, so that's that's kind of how uh, the two companies came together. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, for us, it has meant uh, just learning from a very different perspective with respect to the customer groups that we sell to um, typically have been uh, a little bit different. Uh, and so there's just a lot of uh, fascinating stuff to see how companies at different uh, scales operate, uh, right? Both uh, in terms of our customers, because uh, Wingman uh, has a lot of SMB customers, Clary has a lot of enterprise customers, um, but also how companies at different stages operate internally, right? So uh, of course, you know, uh, Clary uh, is a unicorn with uh, close to 800 employees right now. Uh, and, you know, Wingman, uh, we were four years into our journey with 50 employees at the time of acquisition. So uh, it's been uh, fantastic seeing uh, those parallels and contrasts. That is awesome. And, and so you're feeling pretty hopeful about your trajectory and the future of Wingman after after all of this change? Feeling good about yeah, it? Absolutely. It's like playing on a bigger stage uh, and, you know, being able to uh, have conversations with uh, many more uh, and uh, many large customers. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been a fantastic few months. I I love that so much. And, and I, I love something else. And that is the human question. And the human question is my favorite question to ask. I always tell our guests in pre-show prep, and Trudy is no exception, that with the human question, it's a dumb question that has nothing to do with anything. And here it comes. I'm going to ask you if you, all right, you have a theme song and it plays whenever you walk into a room. What's your theme song? <laughs> um, so I don't know if you've uh, heard the song Bell Bottoms from the movie Baby Driver. Um, no, but now I'm going to have to listen to it. All right, it's called Bell Bottoms? <laughs> yeah, it's called Bell Bottoms. Um, All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's more of a soundtrack, but it's just, uh, you know, it's just something groovy gets into your head and uh, puts a pace on things. Groovier and gets into your head. I feel like that that fits with you very, very well, Shruti. I, I love that. Now I have something to add to my Spotify playlist. So thank you for that. Uh, all right. Well, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, this This was really fun. And I hope that our listeners have taken home and taken to heart some of your very, very awesome sales insights. But thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks, Lauren. This was really fun. Okay, good. <laughs>
Well, I would be remiss, friends, if I didn't remind you once again, this episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by our friends over at EquipBid Auctions. Join, sell, earn. It is just that easy with EquipBid Auctions. You can become an affiliate and start or grow your independent business by visiting equip-bid.me backslash startup today. Even easier, head to startuphustle.xyz. Click on our partners page. You'll see EquipBid's founder, Andy, has everything set up for you to go make some money, which I know we all love. Go build your business within a business with EquipBid Auctions. And we are very, very glad that they they have shown their support for Startup Hustle. Thank you, friends. Uh, Also want to take a moment to tell you I don't know if you know this, but I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle. Uh, we have many, the Matts, Matt Squared, as I like to call them. But I also want to point you to some to Andrew Morgan's. Andrew Morgan's, he is our Amazon e-commerce e-tail guru, and he shares a lot of really, really awesome insights about sales and how to maximize your pipelines and all of those beautiful things that we love to see as founders. So definitely check out Andrew Morgan's episodes, and friends. I do this every show. I'm going to do it again. I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to to listen to us week after week. We would not do this, could not do this without you. We are very, very grateful that you come back and you share your founder journeys and you listen to the founder journeys of the folks that we interview. Thank you so much. You rock. And we will catch you on the flip side. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.